0: welcome to bridging chicago a podcast that aims to connect our listeners to chicago's business community cultural and charity leaders brought to you by satc solution center l3c hello and welcome to another episode of bridging chicago i'm savannah roundtree the law clerk here at satc law and sitting with me today, we have Edward Podziadlik. He is an educator at currently the University of Illinois at Chicago with the College of Education. Um, Ed, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Well, thank you for having me. You know, I listened to some of the podcasts the past few days, yeah. and I was impressed with two things. <laughs> One, uh, the notion of not only your interest in what people are currently doing or will be doing, mm-hmm. but the acknowledgement and validation of where they've been, you know, their past, because yeah. it's the past that informs the present.
0: Yeah, I I think it's really important, especially you see people, you know, you're um, the coordinator for the master's program um, of educational studies right yes. now. And it's like, you get, it's really easy to look at someone and think like, it must have been really easy or simple for them to get there. Like, or, you know, maybe even incredibly difficult and something I could never do. But it's like, you had a very long history to mm-hmm. get there. And so I think we can just jump right into okay. it. Yeah, the second thing I admired <laughs> about your podcast
1: were how eloquent you're, you, you allowed your guests to sound. Uh, and I hope you do the same magic for me.
0: Oh, I'm sure it's not all me. We have a great selection of guests. I'm sure you'll do the same. So my first question to everyone is usually based on their um, undergraduate education. I saw you went to St. Xavier University, which is in Chicago. So are you a Chicago native?
1: Yes, my identity is thoroughly Chicago.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, Chicago Public Elementary School, Chicago Public High School, 10 years with the Chicago Public Library, 17 with the Chicago Public Schools. So you get the idea. Chicago is very much a part of who I am, Okay. for better or worse.
0: (laughs) I think for better, probably.
1: I like to think so.
0: Um, You got your bachelor's degree in elementary education. Did you always know you wanted to go into education?
1: I did not always know. One year, out of high school, mm-hmm. I was working for the Chicago Public Library, okay. <laughs> a wonderful institution, right? Yeah. Um And I took over the preschool story time okay. <laughs> program once a week, and upon doing that, I realized this is pretty remarkable. Yeah. What educators can do mm-hmm. to, you know, I- uh, impact the lives of others, and that was it—the preschool story time. Okay. <laughs> and I never looked back since then.
0: Nice. Um, and so immediately after getting your bachelor's degree, you were employed by CPS um, working in a couple of different middle schools. Did you go to school thinking you want to work in Chicago Public Schools?
1: Well, I uh, left the uh, College of Education at St. Xavier Mm -hmm. with the idea that I had this great passion and I wanted to bring it to life. Mm -hmm. But prior to CPS, I actually worked for three years in a small, our Catholic school in the Archdiocese of Chicago. Okay. And that, I think, was was really important, mm-hmm. as opposed to just taking the first job that you were offered. Sure. Uh, having the three years in a in a smaller setting without mm-hmm. the kinds of uh, structural nuances that are infamous in a large urban system, sure. I was really able to hone my craft.
0: Yeah, be able to get your footing in a smaller pool. Because that's what I was going to ask is, yeah. do you think that your you know, basic education prepared you to be in an urban environment? Were you given the proper educational tools to do that?
1: I believe I was. Mm-hmm. However, as with anything, right, those tools needed to be honed. Right. You know, they needed to be sharpened. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of in- intrinsic work that needs to be done sure. to transition from your identity as a student right. to your identity as a professional educator. Mm-hmm. And I'm really glad I was able to do that in a smaller setting and then transition to CPS. I think it made my uh, public school teaching in an urban setting uh, a much more positive experience right from the start.
0: So was the transition to working in public schools a conscious decision on your part? Were you ready to make that transition? Yes, it was. Yes. You decided you wanted to move into CPS? Yes. Was there any particular reason for that?
1: Well, I think it was always my goal. Yeah, The idea of being a part of the system that I had been educated within. Mm And when the opportunity came up, fortunately, it was a good match—the location, uh, the community climate of the school, mm-hmm. uh, the administrative perspectives. Mm-hmm. It felt like a good match.
0: Yeah, my dad is actually a—he's um, a special education teacher—and okay. um, so I understand how important it is to have. Um, You know, not only like you want to have students that you can help and that you can work with, but also having an administration that you feel like you can get along with and that's supporting you as well can be incredibly important. Um, So what were some of the differences that you saw between working at the um, Catholic school between then transitioning to CPS?
1: Well, a major difference was just the size and expanse. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, small schools, small class sizes, small faculty. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really nurtures more intimate relationships with your peers, more of a sense of family. Mm-hmm. Uh, An urban school, just by nature of uh, it, you know the the system itself right. is much larger mm-hmm. and everything is like triplicate. Right. The challenges are <laughs> triplicate, but on the other hand, so are the rewards. Yeah. So it, it there is a learning curve. It's always about the connections you make with the people and the right. trust you're able to build with them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I have a couple of questions that I think are going to go hand in hand. Um, looking at your resume, I know that you continued to amass uh, more degrees and certifications. You got a master's in English literature and writing, you have an English as a second language endorsement, you have another master's degree in educational administration, a reading endorsement, and then finally you got your PhD in curriculum studies from UIC as well. So my questions go along with that is, what was it like balancing being a student and an educator at the same time, I think will be my first question along those lines.
1: The two worlds actually aligned very nicely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I've always been a full time teacher while I was pursuing those other degrees and right. endorsements, and I found that it strengthened my classroom teaching. Really, mm-hmm.
0: why would you say that is?
1: Because the first off, you get the energy mm-hmm. from taking classes, from learning new things, mm-hmm. from the discourse you have with peers right. differently than you would have otherwise, mm-hmm. and secondly, the whole notion of learning new things picking up pieces of information, even, even different kinds of instructional strategies, I, would, I, I could immediately feel its impact the very next day when I was interacting right. with my students. Um, because it just forces you to reflect upon your practice. right? And so I think it, it, it worked hand in hand. It was a very uh, symbiotic relationship.
0: Okay, so I've seen that you were at um, the same school for a long time teaching middle school, language arts, And during this time, you're getting these continuous degrees. And so your practice is changing and evolving. Did you see, um, any similar or, you know, just any, any changes at all throughout CPS during that time as well?
1: Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, it's. it's a living organization of course, right, so there's always th- this you know this growth factor mm-hmm. um, and and certainly, within the seventeen years that I was at one specific elementary mm-hmm. school, uh, one of the largest things I noticed was the uh, uh, spread of course of technology,
0: right of when course.
1: I started <laughs> there, there were chalkboards in my classroom, <laughs> right and when I left there was a smart board, so that was okay. a huge difference. <laughs> um, other kinds of differences I noticed was more of a reflection of some of the larger uh, social challenges that we face mm-hmm. uh, throughout the city
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, I, I don't know whether it's whether I just became more sensitive to those things or mm-hmm. whether they actually increased right. but it became more of a, a deliberate strategic challenge to meet the kinds of social and emotional needs of students I was working with yeah.
0: you found that to be um a change throughout the whole, not just within your specific teaching practice, but from your peers as well, yes. focusing on those challenges Yes, as you as step well. back
1: and see the larger mm-hmm. picture and begin to listen more closely, you realize, yes, that it's a, it's a reflection of these larger movements. All
0: right. And so, um, was there anything else, um, guiding you to get these extra degrees? Was there like an end goal when you started getting your first masters and then going on or did you just want to just sort of the pursuit of evolving your own teaching craft?
1: Yeah and that's the beauty I think of education Mm -hmm. both as students and as professionals in them is that it is a journey and you don't necessarily know what opportunities might arise and where you might uh, be most needed and feel Mm -hmm. most fulfilled so I would pursue these degrees in in that spirit in that spirit of Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily know okay. what opportunities might be there, but I want—I would like very much to be prepared for them and ready for them when that opportunity comes up.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great um, outlook to take on education and, you know, furthering your own practice as well. Um, and so then after spending 17 years at this one elementary school, you transitioned into some administrative positions. Was this... A product of the extra degrees you had earned, or was this a, um, you know, conscious deci- decision you had made to move from um, being directly involved in the classroom to a more administrative position?
1: It was a conscious decision. The opportunity came up first to be an instructional literacy coach okay. for 20 schools mm-hmm. in at the time what was called an area. Uh, I worked with the 20 schools or so in the Pilsen Little Village, back of the yards neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. And the way I saw it at the time was just an opportunity to not only impact the one group of students sitting in front of me, but to impact the practice of instructors in a number of schools. Mm -hmm. You know, that was very enticing to me to be not – it wasn't like an administrator who worked with the paperwork so much, but it was someone who actually went into the schools Model practice, uh, did troubleshooting, mentoring, coaching. Mm -hmm. That's what really drew me to that, to that.
0: Okay. Um. And so then I would assume that it's sort of a similar draw that brought you eventually to getting your PhD because it is in um, curriculum studies, is that correct? Mm -hmm. And so what exactly does it mean to have a PhD in curriculum studies?
1: Yes. Uh, f- prior to that is uh, a master's in <laughs> instructional administration. Right. And it's important, I, mentioned, I raised that because there is a tremendous difference. Okay. Um, because my work in administration eventually led me to um, further along that path mm-hmm. of administrative. And what I realized, and, uh, which was quite an epiphany, which maybe will help others, is the notion that being an educational administrator is different than being an educator
0: yeah that's one of the questions i had oh yeah further, it's, it's, further on so if it's you want a to different talk about world now what yeah. is about what is it like doing that shift from being an educator to being um
1: yeah i mean that's a huge shift right and it's not talked about very often mm-hmm. uh, it's the notion of you know what your perspective your ideas your passion that fuels and sustains your work in the classroom mm-hmm. is not the same that fuels and sustains what an administrator is called to do and be accountable for mm-hmm. it's a different set of concerns it's a different set of values actually mm-hmm. that go into it and it's not the same and so that is what at that time motivated my shift to curriculum studies okay. because curriculum studies is not about are your numbers moving up that show student progress mm-hmm. it's not about how what is your graduation and attendance rate Mm -hmm. curriculum studies is about okay this is what's happening in your school why is that happening is that important right uh is it improving the lives of the students and the community Mm -hmm. see it's a different whole different set of questions and um, i realized that too often the curriculum studies questions are not asked Right, and not explore, I and say. that's frightening. So that's become my my PhD and my crusade.
0: <laughs> yeah, because um, whenever you hear people talking about schools, it does seem to be more about the numbers, about the standardized testing, about just making sure those numbers are increasing without really thinking about um, the implications those are always having on what the students are actually learning. And so you, it's that sort of same lack of attention to that that drew you to curriculum studies? Yes. And you think that's a change that needs to be made in a lot of administrations?
1: I think that these days especially, as mm-hmm. you've noticed, the national agenda is very much geared toward a corporate mindset. Mm-hmm. and And because of that, I think it's more important than ever that those people who adhere to an understanding of a more liberal arts-based education, mm-hmm. of a more humanities-based education, that is student-centered and is concerned with not just intellectual Mm -hmm. but also concerned with the emotional and spiritual growth and development of individuals needs to be heralded
0: yeah and i think that's really apparent i was um, sort of browsing through um your recently published articles and things and i saw topics such as reimagining urban teacher preparation which Mm -hmm. i think goes to sort of all of those things you just spoke to, but also um, you mentioned democratic learning spaces as well as paying attention to um, multiple stakeholders mm-hmm. in a classroom. So um, if you could just sort of expound on what a few of those ideas mean and how they can be implemented in classrooms.
1: Yes. Well, it goes back to that notion of relationships. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's about building relationships, especially when you're thinking of a system like Chicago Public Schools. and you want to impact the lives of people who often are disenfranchised or disempowered Mm -hmm. so as an example uh i work mostly with seven schools right now as a field supervisor so within those seven schools i work with the student teachers and their mentor teachers and over time i have expanded that to working with the building administration Uh, parent and community organizations Mm -hmm. and added to that of course because I've been doing this now for seven years former students of mine have now been hired at many of these schools Mm -hmm. so they are a part of the conversation too and I think that the strength of our work is in our collaboration together it is not done in isolation right and it validates each other and Mm -hmm. gives each other a voice and a space to take ownership mm-hmm. of the education. And it speaks to not just what is your reading score, but it speaks to, you know, who am I? What is my identity? How mm-hmm. can I work this forward? Right. How You know, what is worthwhile to my life?
0: Mm-hmm. And showing everyone involved in the process that they're a part of this community as well. Absolutely. I think it's really important to um, speaking to that notion of stakeholders as well. It's sort
1: of like your broadcast is called mm-hmm. Bridging Chicago, right? And that's what a lot of this collaboration is right It's, it's building those bridges
0: yeah um and so you um got your phd in curriculum studies and with that you wrote a dissertation which became a published book um anecdotes and afterthoughts literature as a teacher's curriculum and so um i'm assuming this just speaks further to your notion of including this more sort of humanities liberal arts mindset and the sort of community-based um, teaching structure as well. Yes. Yeah.
1: Uh, it's very much rooted in my 17 years teaching in Chicago Public mm-hmm. Schools. So it combines three aspects. Okay. Uh, it combines uh, educational philosophy. Mm-hmm. It also adds to that literature. Mm-hmm. And all the novels and uh, pieces of literature that are used in the book are ones I've actually taught students. Okay. And then the third component, of this project is uh, personal reflections and mm-hmm. anecdotes from my own experiences. So it has a, a foot in both worlds, okay. You know the intellectual world of research as well as the real world of practice, what's going right. on. Um,
0: yeah. And so after getting your PhD, you made a transition to working in higher education. Now you're at University of Illinois at Chicago. And so what was that transition like from being in the grade school setting to now being in higher education
1: well the transition was actually smooth because it was like an organic movement Mm -hmm. because now i'm working with mostly with seniors in their final year toward receiving their licensure for teaching Mm -hmm. so i'm speaking to the practice of teaching
0: right
1: and i'm drawing upon my actual practice of teaching over extended time (laughs) And the other piece of that that makes it organic, I believe, is the notion that I mean, I spend a great deal of my time actually in the Chicago Public right. Schools, yeah. working with the students, working mm-hmm. with their mentor teachers and so forth, coaching and mentoring. Mm-hmm. So in a way, it's it's building upon and furthering mm-hmm. this foundation that, that has taken good. place prior. Yeah,
0: because you were already working with educators as uh, in your various administrative roles with CPS. Mm-hmm. Would you say it... Is easier or more difficult to work with the more experienced teachers that you're working with before versus um, the students that you're working with now that are about to become educators?
1: Uh, It's a really interesting question because in the first case, in the case Mm of the uh, seniors in college, a lot of what we deal with and talk about and reflect upon are their emerging identities mm-hmm. as professional teachers. In terms of mentor teachers and veteran teachers, what we talk about and, and reflect upon is evolving identities. Right. So emerging and evolving identities is what links, I think, all of the work together. Mm-hmm. And it's the whole notion, and I, I ask the same question to my students, as mm-hmm. I ask of when I've done professional development, for instance, with faculties of teachers, and that question is, are you becoming the teacher that you've aspired to be? Mm -hmm. And that question is as effective for the novice teachers as it is for the veteran ones.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I noticed that that question, um, as well as the question of in what ways does our professional work as educators align to our personal values and beliefs, both those questions you um, put at the top of your resume sort of centering. Mm -hmm how important those questions are to you. Um, And so how do you balance uh, work as a professional educator with your own uh, personal beliefs?
1: Well, it's always something that you need to be conscious of. Mm -hmm. And it's always a matter of, again, reflective practice. You know, is is what you're doing now, does it align to what you believe, to Mm -hmm. what you value? And sometimes it does more than others. Sure. And I think the danger is when especially educators throw our hands up and say oh well this is what I need to do this is what needs to be done Mm -hmm. and I think uh, one way to frame it is to say that it's the difference between education as as work a job versus education as a calling you know what are you called to do right and I think as work as a job you know there's compensation and health care benefits, you know, all those Mm -hmm. those wonderful things that we rely on. However, as a calling, you know, it speaks to something that is more deeply uh, rooted in who we are as people. And that I think we need to preserve and take care of and be aware of. So I I am able in the College of Education to do a lot of uh, that kind of reflective work with my students. Mm -hmm. You know, they're very good. (laughs) <laughs> at the prescriptive pieces of lesson planning and sure. adhering to Common Core. I mean, mm-hmm. they get that. Right. Even if they don't get it as well as others, they will get it. Right. You know, they they are uh, most of the students they work with are first generation mm-hmm. and first generation college, mm-hmm. and it's uh, kudos to them for their incredible sacrifices they make and the perseverance to uh, to, to get their teaching license. Right. Yeah. Um. My work with them often focuses on um, what does this mean to you as a person? Mm -hmm. Is this the kind of teaching and learning that you believe in Mm -hmm. that resonates with your values? You know, those kinds of questions. So that's where the connection is made.
0: And I think those are really important to think about, especially in, you know, um, today's society. Teachers are often um, in the news headlines for, you know, the other aspects of teaching you know, as a job. And it can be really easy, I think, for teachers to get burnt out of the system, of the struggles and how many, um, you know, tasks they have to get through every day versus, you know, how they're being viewed in society and what sort of compensation they're getting. And, um, you know, you obviously haven't been burnt out being an educator, and do you think it's that focus on the relationships and your personal values that has kept you... um, from that burnout
1: I do because I think it all everything else is external Mm -hmm. you know it's extrinsic and that really beats you up yeah these other pieces are more at the core of who you are Mm -hmm. and that takes healing and I think that needs most protection because you can get beat up but if your heart is still aligned to your core beliefs and values You'll you'll be able to get up and fight another day.
0: Yeah, um, and so then finally, I don't know if you want to talk about this because it says um, there's an anticipated publication date in December of 2019. But you have a follow. It seems like a follow up book, prose and postscripts, grieving as a teacher's curriculum. And so I guess I have two questions to go with that. Sort of is that a follow up to your first book? And um, you know. It's been five years since you first reflected in uh, literature as a teacher's curriculum, and so have your thoughts continued to evolve or change since then? Have you gained new insights into education since then? Um, And does this book speak to that?
1: Uh, Yes, to most of your (laughs) questions. You're very astute in uh, reading over my paperwork. The idea of educational philosophical ideas and uh, literature mm-hmm. and personal experiences those same three components are used in in the book that i'm currently working on mm-hmm. its focus focus is more specific though the lens focuses specifically on grieving right. as a teacher's curriculum and it's the idea that gr- grieving has so much to teach us i believe about compassion mm-hmm. and sympathy and so much to teach us about vulnerability mm-hmm. and resilience mm-hmm. i mean think about it, we were so worried about teaching math and science and reading, which I know are important, obviously, (laughs) but where and in what space and in what ways are we teaching compassion and resilience? I mean, in what ways are we acknowledging and validating each other's vulnerabilities and Mm -hmm. ways to support each other through that? I think those in many ways are the most worthwhile questions. Yeah. And the first uh, or second chapter of that book, uh, is rooted in the writings of the Bengali Nobel Prize-winning writer uh, Rabindranath Tagore, okay. and one of his comments, I think, really encapsulates uh, this book project. He said, an education of sympathy is not only systematically ignored in schools, but it is severely repressed. For the beginning of this century, uh, rather the 20th century, mm-hmm. that teachers and students are made to lose our world, to find a bag full of information instead, mm-hmm. and I guess that goes back to my crusade. Right. What are you losing mm-hmm. when you're gaining all this information, but you're not attending to values and beliefs and the heart of the matter? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's really startling to hear that he wrote that in the early 20th century when mm-hmm. we're you yeah. know now a little ways into the 21st century, and to think that we are only sort of furthering only the pursuit of, like, facts and specific knowledge without attending to these other personal benefits that you're talking about. I think it's really important, especially when you think about how many hours and days and, you know, that students spend with their teachers versus I think lots of times people think, oh, you know, like, families deal with that and teachers should be dealing with just, like, facts. Leave it
1: on the doorstep of the school.
0: But Students spend an inordinate amount of time, especially now with extracurricular activities and all that go on, they spend so much more time at school than they do at home, and to just leave out whole aspects of uh, yeah. you know, humanity like that is yeah. really startling.
1: Yeah. In fact, the first sentence of the new book is uh, simply put, teachers are not automatons, yeah. and neither are students. Mm-hmm. It seems it's such a basic and simple premise, mm-hmm. but it needs to be heralded these days. I believe. Yeah,
0: I think that um, is sort of forgotten a lot. I think you're correct. Um, and so usually, sort of the wrap-up question I ask people is, what advice would they give, um, you know, young aspiring people to go. They want to go into this field, even though I sort of think our whole conversation has been advice about that. But if you have any other uh, more specific advice that you wanted to give to uh, people that are thinking about entering the educational field, is there anything else you would say to them?
1: Well, I would say that uh, entering the field of education is a kind of calling. Mm -hmm. And I would say that if you were to choose to do that, one thing I can guarantee you is your life will never be the same. Mm-hmm. Your options, your choices, your impact on others, for better or worse, is re- it will be remarkable. Um, and I, I think you know, those kinds of intangibles are, are really worth reflecting upon and considering as you're looking toward, uh, you're asking yourself, you know, what do I wanna do, where am I headed? What do mm-hmm. my values tell me and my beliefs, where are they directing me towards? If you feel that those questions are toward education, there is a place. The need for passionate, knowledgeable, and compassionate people is very strong these days.
0: I think it's such a disservice this country does, and how they undervalue teachers. When we mm-hmm. think about teachers, are literally bringing up our next generation—the people that are supposed to, you know, continue yeah. the society. And teachers for are
1: us. not just in the classroom, right? Right. All of us in some way, are teaching each other. Mm-hmm. We're learning from each other. My students are my teachers in many ways. Um, and sometimes we overlook that. Some of the most important lessons we learn aren't in those four walls of the classroom. You know, they're on the sports field, mm-hmm. or they're in the recreation center, or the library. Um, and I w- often tell my students as they're ready to graduate, um, whether you're in a classroom or not in the future, you are teachers. Yeah. Worth mentioning.
0: No, I think that's actually a great sentiment for us to end on. So unless there was anything else you wanted to cover that I didn't ask you, um, I think we'll wrap it up. Ed, thank you so much for joining us today. I really enjoyed our conversation.
1: I did as well. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Bridging Chicago, as produced by the SATC Solutions Center. As always, feel free to reach out to us on social media with your comments and suggestions. You can email us at solutioncenter at satcltd.com. Find us on Twitter and Instagram, where our handle is at bridgingchicago. And don't forget to rate, subscribe, and comment on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to this podcast. Nothing contained in this podcast shall constitute financial, investment, legal, and or professional advice. No professional relationship of any kind is created between you and the podcast host or guests. You are urged to speak with your financial, investment, or legal advisors before making any investment or legal decisions. Furthermore, the opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the opinions of the SATC Solutions Center, Shank Tepper-Campbell, or any of its employees. This podcast is created by the host and guests' individual capacities. All opinions on this podcast are or have been rendered based on specific facts, under certain conditions and are subject to certain assumptions and may not and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose including but not limited to or use in or in connection with any investment purposes or legal proceeding.